I'm Laura Max Rose, mother of two, and you're listening to Look Ma No Hands, my candid dispatches from the front lines of motherhood. I ask the real, tough, honest questions on motherhood-related topics that we're all wanting to know more about, in hopes it will make everyone's journey fulfilling, easier, and more joyful. If you're not a mom, welcome. I want you to know how happy I am that you're listening and that these topics can be applied to any season of life. I'm grateful you're along for the ride. Welcome back to Look Ma No Hands. I am your host, Laura Max Rose, and I'm joined today by Amy Woodall. She is the CEO and founder of the Black Sheep Agency and mother of two. I can't wait to talk to her about how she balances or doesn't balance all of it. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Amy. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Black Sheep is a brand strategy firm that is focused on impact-driven clients. And you tell me that when you tell people that, they don't even know what you're talking about. (laughs) So why don't you tell us what you mean? Because you've accomplished so much in the last 10 years with Black Sheep including working with Michelle Obama on one very exciting project. So tell us what it means to be focused on impact-driven clients and why you are focused on them. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's hard to put a label on our work, but we we call it brand strategy. And and the key is that we, we just work with impact-driven clients. So we are a communications, creative, uh, boutique firm that focuses on design and campaign building and uh, really activating people around things that matter, which kind of translates to uh, nonprofit clients most of the time. About 70% of our client base is nonprofit. Uh, The other 30% is some combination of either government organizations, anywhere from the city of Houston to Harris County, uh, all the way up to the White House, which you mentioned in your intro. Uh, we've worked with the Obama administration in the past. And then we also work with for-profit companies who are balancing purpose with profit and trying to leave the world better than they found it, uh, really just integrating social impact in their day-to-day decision-making and activities and, and uh, making it a significant part of their culture. So I feel like a lot of people go into their careers and they're really ambitious about the type of change that they're going to create in the world and the type of difference that they want to make. And then they have to like pay their first you know, electric bill or rent bill. And they're like, okay, actually, never mind. I've just got to kind of take care of myself. You always really amaze me because you've never wavered in that mission that you have to really create positive change, even when it's meant making challenging decisions or working extra, extra hard, which I know you do, especially with two kids. So what is behind your continued mission to really only focus on clients who are creating positive change in the world? Well, to be fair, I didn't always uh, focus on this. So I started the agency 10 years ago, and about six months in, we started working with a nonprofit client that really inspired me to go in this direction. Uh, We were up at the office after midnight one night working on this big campaign that we were delivering for them the next day. And I remember the words leaving my lips. Wouldn't it be great if we, we could do this kind of work all the time? And from that moment, I started working toward that. It took a couple of years for us to really get to a solid place to be able to just exclusively work with cause-driven clients. So we had to part ways with a couple of clients about two years in when we finally got that level of stability to be able to, um, you know, kind of pick and choose who we would work with. Um, So so there was a period of time. I don't want to mislead anybody who's thinking about doing something like this, that it just can happen overnight. Um, There was a lot of careful planning and some cautious uh, moving in that direction so that we could really make it successful once we went all in. And then once we went all in, it was was actually a moment where a lot of people had doubt. Uh, There were a lot of people kind of projecting that in my direction, asking me questions, asking me if there was going to be enough business to sustain this, asking me if I was actually going to say no to certain clients who didn't fit that criteria, or asking me uh, flat out if I was crazy. And, And so, you know, that was a moment where I had to kind of really stay rooted in my vision and it was hard because if all of these smart people around me were were wondering if I was doing the right thing, uh, you know, that that could make a person wonder if they're doing the right thing. Uh, but I knew that it was right. And the beautiful thing that happened when we put that out into the universe is that people who were working in that space, who were looking for a partner like us, found us because we became so 
unapologetic about who we were and what we were good at and the kind of clients that we wanted to work with that they it was much easier for them to find us and for people to understand well you market your own agency the black sheep agency the same way you market the companies and the nonprofits that you end up working for so I'm not surprised that they ended up finding you but I've often stumbled across your website and I'm just like where does Amy get all these ideas like it's constantly being revamped so now I get to ask you where if you okay if you've never heard of the black sheep agency first of all if you go on their website you'll see just extremely creative content. It's an understatement. And same goes for your Instagram. And it's always being refreshed. Like it's very clear to me as a creative person myself that somebody is very creatively woke. Someone's getting a lot of ideas. Someone is not blocked. Is that you? How are we coming up with all these ideas, especially so we're going to get into the kid part in a minute, but it's not like you don't have a lot on your plate. Uh, it, it's a good thing to point out that they aren't all my ideas. And in fact, most of them aren't my ideas at all. There's there's 16 people that work on our team and everyone is really bound to the idea of treating our agency like we would treat a client and really being proactive storytellers about what we're here to do and how that shows up every day and what it's like behind the scenes. And the ideas come from every direction. Um, I think that's so important because so oftentimes, like we all have heard the story, like creative agencies, their own creative always falls to the wayside because they're putting all their resources in their clients. But it's so the opposite with you. And I've always really admired that. It's true. Uh, and I think the reason why I'm so steadfast in that is because I came from an environment, you know, I grew up in the agency world and I came from another agency where we, we neglected ourselves. And it was frustrating to be in that position for the time that I was. So when I started my own agency, I really wanted to create space for that uh, focus and, and kind of that proactive time to really sit back and say, what can we do for ourselves? Because you can be more creative and more uninhibited with your own self as a client than you can with any other client. There's no one to tell you no. Yeah, you can really do everything that you've always wanted yeah, to do. So we should be the example that our clients see and you know want to emulate. Uh, they want they see us have fearlessness and experimentation as a part of our day-to-day practices for our own brand. And then that makes them have more faith in following that path for themselves. So, so when I first met you, you had actually recently started black sheep. You started it 10 years ago, came coming from another agency. It was all yours and you've gotten to do what you really love with it. And then recently, so you have two kids and your oldest is that why your oldest wild is actually my daughter's age. So three and a half, my mm-hmm. first daughter's age. And then you recently had another child. How was having kids just in general, a game changer for you? And then we'll get into you know, the birth of your second, which was a whole other story. Well, you know, that's an interesting thing to think about. You know, obviously it changed my day-to-day format uh, and made me less in charge of things. Um, But also I, you know, I never really had anything more important okay, this is a bad thing to say because I had a husband before I had kids. And my husband is obviously very, very important to me. But my business was my my child, my baby. And it was was so intimately woven into who I am as a person, my self-identity. And, uh, you know, I'd never been any prouder of anything than I was of this thing that I had built. And when you have kids, obviously, there, there's a lot of similarities, actually, in how I feel about my kids and how I feel about my business. But obviously, there's just no love greater than the love you experience for your children. So it was the first time really ever that I I very blatantly had a greater priority than my business. I'll- I'm so glad that you just said that because I was recently at this conference, I guess you could call it for like working moms, maybe they're transitioning into another job. And everyone sort of ended up standing up. It was like the most cathartic experience I've ever had saying, you know, it's not necessarily that I don't like the job that I have right now. This is the job that I've always wanted, but I just don't feel the same way about my job that I did before I had children. Or I have everything I've ever wanted, but it doesn't feel like what I thought it would. And I just have, I'm low energy or I just, it doesn't, my, my work used to be my baby, exactly what you just described. And ever since I had children, it's so hard for me to find my meaning that I used to have from my job. And I just so identified with that. 
-hmm. Like it is such a, it just changes your perspective, but sometimes that can be, I don't know if I should use the word lonely or isolating, but it's just surprising, I guess, Mm -hmm. because I mean, I was there. I mean, I know how much you've poured into black sheep. I, I remember feeling passionate about my own work and looking at you and thinking, oh my gosh, she's really able to put everything into this. And it's, she's absolutely doing what she loves doing. And then you have kids and it's like so hard to still like continue to cultivate that same passion and direct it at something when there's something else like having children in the picture. Mm-hmm. Well, you're just pulled in a lot of different directions and there's new emotions. There's there's things like guilt that creep in all the time. And, um, you know, I, I, to clarify, I have, I still have the same affection for my business. Like I really do. I haven't ever lost the conviction that I have about, about what this agency is. Uh, I, I think it's actually more important to me now But when I'm spending time there, I'm very critical of how I'm spending that time because more or less it's minutes or hours chosen over my kids, my family at this point. And so those minutes and hours have to really count. And every minute and hour I'm spending on the business has to be the best way that I could spend those hours and minutes so that that value spreads to my other family, um, which is these amazing 15 people that I work with day in and day out. You got two families. I do work one and the one at home. I really do. And I think, um, because our work is meaningful and because I feel so close to the people that I work with, um, I don't, I, I don't necessarily feel like that, um, connection was diluted by, having these competitive little people running around my house, but, (laughs) but it is hard. It is, you know, it's, you know, you have to make a lot of new choices and getting used to those choices and figuring out how to navigate it all is, is certainly a complicated, you know, how do I slate my school pickup in between my seven meetings that I have and make sure that my kid feels loved and adored whenever I get him in the car, even though I've come from, you know, a tough meeting or something like that. So that was one thing when you just had the one kid, but then recently, how old is Tallulah, your second? Tallulah's 10 months. 10 months. And she, so you were 36 weeks pregnant. You walked into the doctor's office and you never left. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a bit of a shocker. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, I think kids have introduced me to a new kind of trauma. Uh, You'd think 10 years in business, you would have had all the feelings and anxieties. Um, But kids, my kids have both come into the world in a dramatic way. But Tallulah especially, um, she she had a little bit of a a quick heartbeat early on in the pregnancy. And we tested and tested and retested and everything seemed completely fine. And then at my 36-week appointment, that little heartbeat sped right up again and um I was in the office they put me on the heart monitor and they said you know just we're gonna check this out for 15 minutes or so just sit here and relax and and we're gonna listen to her heartbeat and my husband was out of town oh my god he had gone to Boston for 17 hours uh for for a meeting and oh my god at 36 weeks we were not concerned about that at all. It was there and back on a Monday. And, um, and a few hours later I was getting an ultrasound and my husband was boarding the plane to come home. He booked an earlier flight or no, this was he just was just, just done home. with the meeting and he was on okay. his way home. And, uh, the ultrasound, uh, doctor got on the phone with him. You could hear all the plane noises in the background. He was, you know, the the oh, flight attendant God. over the the uh, the PA and uh, the ultrasound tech said, "I don't think we have anything to worry about. The heart rate is accelerated, but we're going to put her on the monitor upstairs for a few hours and just see how this looks over time. I think there's about a five percent chance that the baby might need to come today, but I'm not really worried about it." Oh my God. And then my husband took off and was in the air and I went upstairs and got on that monitor and the nurse that was on duty that day was really, uh, making me feel like everybody was worried for no reason. 
just downplaying, kind of acting like they were a little bit silly for sending me So you me weren't worried at this point? So I was not worried. And in fact, I was telling her about how I had never had a major surgery or any surgery at all. Because your first child was born vaginally, was not a C-section. Right. Okay. Um, and just as soon as those words left my mouth and I said I would be terrified if I ever had to have a C-section, a doctor came racing in and said, we're going to take you for an emergency C-section. Don't panic. <laughs> uh, and she said, I'm going to hit this call button. And when I do, people are going to flood into the room and it's going to be scary. Uh, but don't worry, you're in good hands. And what are you thinking in that moment? Oh, I just started sobbing because I was alone. I mean, my, my, uh, my husband was on in the air. I couldn't even reach know, him, let him know. And, uh, my mom was the closest person to me. She lives out at, my parents live out in the woodlands. So I, I called my mom and told her that, that I was going to have the baby. And, um, and then people came into the room and started kind of, aggressively yelling at me to take off my jewelry and um aggressively yelling like get it off yeah like terrifying yelling yeah and if you've ever seen my ears like it's really hard to get my earrings out I have I have (laughs) lots of piercings and um so I'm you know you can't even do it without looking in the mirror so I'm like shaking I'm crying I've only told my mom that I'm having this baby they're telling me I can't call my husband I couldn't reach him anyway and then they're yelling at me to take off my jewelry and so what what was it what was so wrong that you needed to have this c-section so her heart rate was accelerated it was even more than it had been yes and 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 it was um consistently accelerated except when it wasn't when it was dropping to like a very scary okay low um so she had to she had to come out she had to come out oh so they put you to sleep they put me to sleep uh, my doctor showed up. And I, why was that? Why did they knock you completely out, by the way? Because there wasn't time for... Just like normal anesthesia, like... Anything where, else. Okay, okay. Yeah. What, they had to get her out right away. I think she was out, and this is, of course, in my hazy recollection of time, but I think she was out within an hour. Maybe okay. even Maybe even 30 minutes. Okay. Yeah, like, because an hour seems like a really long time for... I mean, I've had one, but... Didn't seem like it was an hour. Well, long. you know, it there took was me, like it took yeah. me fifteen minutes to get to my get the jewelry up. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, oh my god! Yeah, but it was it was fast. It was they they all came running in. There were they were taking my stuff, getting me to take my jewelry off, which half of it didn't come off because I couldn't get it off fast enough. And then I was wheeling down the hallway. My doctor came up. I quickly bonded with her as the like the closest thing to family that I, that I could find. And then I was asleep. And the last thing I remember uh, was they asked for my phone. And then right as I was falling asleep, they said, hurry, get her phone code. And luckily, my phone code is very easy to quickly say. I won't share it. Right. You're about to tell everyone. I know I was about to. (laughs) Uh, And the doctor was able to unlock my phone and took a few photos as they were taking the baby out. And my husband was actually alerted to the birth of our daughter in the air by text message with her photo showing up. Oh, my God. What do we know? Okay. What were his thoughts when he saw this picture? Well, apparently there was champagne. His experience was very different than mine. Oh, he's toasting champagne in the air and you're... (laughs) His experience was very different than mine. He was with some coworkers and uh, I think he... Showed the photo around and then there was champagne. And, um, of course, uh, he was very sad to miss it, but. And he got to the hospital and you guys were a family for all of a sudden. Yeah. So did Tallulah need to stay in the hospital? She did. She was in the hospital for two weeks. She was in the NICU for a week and then she was in the cardio NICU. What was that like? Because you had to sleep at home or you stayed. So I was at home during the NICU week and then I was back there with her in the cardio NICU. What was that like just having a baby that's not at home? Terrible. No. I terrible. Um the 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 days where I had to go home where she was in the NICU, it was it was like leaving your arm part of your body like, at the hospital. It was yeah. so uh, disorienting. Uh and on top of that, you're already 
tired and broken yeah. and, and kind of unraveling at the seams. But yeah, leaving her there was uh, impossible. I mean, it was very difficult. So then she comes home after a couple of weeks and then like life with four, like life with two kids begins faster than you imagined it would have. Mm-hmm. But I imagine work-wise, you probably were not totally prepared to just like put well, a total stop on things or you were. Oh no, I was prepared. Well, <laughs> okay. So my team, the la- my famous last words to my team were, I'm going to be upstairs being monitored for the next four or five hours and I'll probably be bored. Send me anything, you know, you want me to take a look at or review. Oh my God. And then, you know, 30 minutes later I had a baby. So famous last words, but I, aside from the fact that we thought we had four more weeks, we were very buttoned up and prepared and they were incredible. I was un, you know, uninterrupted in my time with my family. You put a great team together. That's amazing. They're really great. And, and I would say both of my maternity leaves, I've really been able to have those moments and have such respect from the team and such um, responsibility and grace during that time. And so since you are the company runner, the company owner, Mm -hmm. how long do you take on maternity leave? I think people would be kind of curious to know that if they're thinking of doing what you're doing. Uh, I take 12 weeks and, you know, with Tallulah, it was because I was in the hospital for two weeks. I took longer, a little bit longer, like 14 or 15 weeks because I wanted 12 weeks with her at home and she was also in a more fragile state. So things were just a little bit less, um, I don't know the bonding, the bonding took a minute because there, there was yeah, of course. a lot going on. Yeah, I can, I can, I also like, I guess I'm probably projecting onto a million people because of my own experience, but having had a C-section with my first and not having one with my second, when you've had a C-section, if there's like a million things going on, it's not like it's not the way things typically are. So it's very difficult, I think, to get into the flow of things. At least that was my experience. Perhaps if I'd had like a planned C-section, it would have been different, but it doesn't sound like yours was planned either. So it's really hard to get like, okay, now I have a baby and I'm recovering from surgery. And so many women, they go through this. This is like what my second podcast episode was about that like, this is a common quote unquote experience to have a C-section, but like mm-hmm. that doesn't make it any less traumatizing. It's a very challenging thing to go through to be recovering from surgery and then also be responsible for this new life. And in so many cases, the C-section happens because the baby needs to go to the NICU and then, oh, you're back to work. Like <laughs> 12 weeks is, is great. But like, I just, there's so many like who just, it's okay. All right, I'm done. I have to go back to work. Was it harder to go back to work after Tallulah was born than Wild? Or was it like a similar experience or the it opposite? Was a little bit harder because of the way that things went with her, but it was also hard because then there were two of them. And at the time we were trying to figure out how to get wild off into a school. And, you know, we were really trying to figure out what life, how life worked with two kids. It was just different. It's a whole with, new adjustment. With, with your first baby, you're just, you're, it's like, you're, I feel like I just, stared into his eyes and I I just, you know, had this lovely contemplation about this baby that I had all the time. And on the second one, I I mean, I, I don't, I try to have that moment with her still because you're like, Hey, I I haven't had that moment yet. Um, you know, there's just with, a, a a needier older child, um, you know, one that, is aware of what's going on around and needs things and is active and is, you know, exploring and curious. Uh, it's, you know, there's just not enough time to really be in the moment with the first one. And so you have to, you have to divide. I think that's, that's a new experience for the me. dividing. I mean, obviously I've divided professionally for a very long time between clients, between team members, uh, between work and home. Yeah. But the division between two children and, you know, how you think about how that might impact them and making sure they both feel equally loved. Oh is- my God. Well, I think so many parents of two, myself and very much included can relate to that because I was, I came home the other day from working and I 
Selma and Violet were both at home. And I thought about how when Selma was an only child, like my biggest priority when I walked in the door was just to be like, Selma, Selma, like, how was your day? And like, she got all my attention. Like, I wanted her to make sure I see you. I, I missed you. Now I walk in the door and if they're both home, like Selma's three and a half now. So she's like, mommy, I want to show you this. And like Violet's off in the corner and Violet is definitely my more relaxed child. So mm-hmm. she's like, cool, take it or like take it or leave the high and by. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'm still kind of trying to make sure Selma like see, like knows that I see her, but Violet like has had a totally different experience as my kid. And I feel like I'm sharing this and people without kids, especially you're probably listening, thinking, oh my God, that poor child, don't worry. Uh, But like she, she gets my attention, but just like in such a different kind of way, Mm -hmm. because she's not like, there's something about that firstborn you put all this focus on them. And then you're like, well, when your sibling comes around, we'll do the same, but it doesn't really work that way because your first is kind of already there. And I always think about Violet's experience, like trying to make sure that she gets like her big high and bye. Mm-hmm. Um, it's complicated. It's, yeah. I mean, know. the baby book, right? So yeah. the first, my first wild has a beautiful, here's, oh, your, my here's the first year of yeah. your life. And Tallulah yeah. has a book in a box <laughs> with some pictures crammed in there that haven't quite made it to the actual book. But I remember somebody they both have their own Instagram accounts. And I remember somebody saying on this, on Tallulah's page, Oh, the second kid never has as many pictures as the first. And so I'm like, Oh Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Tallulah's going to totally have as many pictures as wild. You know, so it's just like gauntlet thrown. I will treat my second child the way everyone treats their first child. I don't know. You'll be the first. These are the silly, silly things that we, But I think we as moms kind of like we consider it way more than our kids actually do. Like I think Selma probably would have been more than fine if she had been the second kid. It's me that thought that she needed all these things. And now she's come to expect that Mm because Violet like Violet knows she's loved. She doesn't know what it's like to get like the Selma treatment. Like she was never my firstborn kid. Yeah. Um, But I, I actually it's funny that you said that about your first like you were staring into his eyes and like your second you were like oh my god when am I actually going to get a minute to stare in your eyes or 10 months old. Yeah. I had like the I was so stressed with my first just like keeping her alive that my second came and I was like okay I maternity leave like three months was up and I was like I'm not going I'm not leaving this house <laughs> like I was still staring into her eyes like yeah. I finally got to have that moment then but I just I think so many people can relate to like being able to be present in one way with one kid and then with the other one it's more of a challenge and that's just kind of life you know yeah life just you know it's there's a lot of things that are involved there's your parents and mm-hmm. there's you know, things that are happening in the environment and culture. And I mean, it's an election year. So how's that going to affect my kids? Who knows? Well, speaking of the election year, you have been really involved politically um, through the Black Sheep Agency. And I mean, can you believe what's going on with the Iowa caucus right now? Everyone listening to this already knows what's going on. Everybody knows what's happened, but it's currently... February 4th is today the 4th. Yeah. And it's apparently we're going to find out by 5 p.m. It's going to be an interesting year. It's going to be an interesting year. How are you? Do you have any involvement in the way that this year is interesting? Uh, I do, but not from a candidate perspective. We we try to avoid uh, candidate identification and things like that. Um, But I work, I serve on the board of the League of Women Voters of Houston and the agency is actually working on with the uh, Harris County clerk's office on the vote your way campaign, which was something that we helped to create. And we're also working on census 2020 uh, and, and a few other just sort of regional uh, democratic campaigns. Well, I remember seeing you like right after your first was born, after Wild was born, you were at like the Women's March and you were out and you were marching and you were talking about how important it was. Oh, and Hurricane Harvey hit Mm -hmm. right after he was born. And I was like blown. I was like, I'm not even looking at your Instagram because you were out like saving Houston. And I was like, I'm sorry. I've like donated some clothes, but I'm at home with my one year old and I can't do any more than this right now. But you were on it and you were talking about how much more important it was to you to be on it because of your kids. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, this, the way that our kids learn who they can be and, and how they should, uh, treat people and, you know, how they can play a part in their community comes directly from how they're raised and how they see us engaging in those things. So I try and bring 
wild and Tallulah anytime I can in tow to uh, be a part of those functions, even if they're too young to remember because those stories and those photographs and things like that will continue to be a part of the story that they understand their whole life. And my hope is that they will be really active and engaged in their community and in the democratic process and to understand when things are important to them that they can affect what happens around those issues. And, you know, right now I'm, uh, been communicating a lot with the city about the safety of our street and writing a lot of letters to city council and the mayor and the Houston. The Police fact that Department. there are no sidewalks or that people are driving 60 miles an hour or both or neither. Uh, both, 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 both. Uh, both. Yeah. and traffic is increasing in our part of town and, and things like that. And, you know, just to be able to write these letters and to share hopefully eventually how speed cushions and additional stop signs were installed on our street later down the line. I hope they learn from all of these things. And so, yeah, I toted wild along with me when we popped up a hur- hurricane relief uh, hub and and I towed him to the women's march year after year and I will try to raise active little citizens and and hope that that catches on well I have no doubt that they will be very active little citizens so for the first time in look ma no hands history this is episode 16 I'm going to take a little break because we have our first sponsor I'm going to tell you a little bit about the social mama app and then we're going to be back chatting with Amy Woodall Look Ma No Hands is proud to be sponsored today by the Social Mama app. The Social Mama app is support and friendship at every stage of motherhood. It's a free app for moms to build and maintain meaningful connections to successfully navigate motherhood. It allows women to meet other moms in their own neighborhood, connect with moms from all over the world, and share on an open mom forum, which includes personal mom matches based on your location, lifestyle, and unique needs. Unique needs include everything from the number of children you have to whether or not you're facing a health diagnosis and many more options. There's an interactive map to discover and chat with local moms around you and even answers to your burning mom questions from certified professionals and mentor mamas. Being a mom is hard, but you don't have to go through it alone. With a zero tolerance policy for mom mom shaming, Social Mama provides every mom the opportunity to be part of a supportive and completely judgment-free mom community. Join Social Mama today and meet mamas like you. We're back. You're listening to my conversation with Amy Woodall. And now we're going to talk a little bit about how she makes it work. And one of the most important things to you, Amy, you've mentioned is scheduling. When I asked you to come on this show, you I've never seen like a response like you were very clear about all the things that you had coming up. And I had mentioned, you know, I ask all of my guests to help me promote my podcast episode the day that it airs. And you were very clear that like that was fine, but you would need some advance notice because you you know when you're going to have to promote things in your Instagram and you know what's on your schedule and you just seemed extremely prepared. Things are very well scheduled. Tell me a little bit more about that and why that has been so important to you. Well, I, th- I think that when you have so much going on, the only way to make it all happen is to plan ahead. I was actually at a, I went to the inaugural Obama Foundation Summit in Chicago a couple of years ago, and Michelle Obama was on stage with an amazing poet whose name is escaping me right now, but she was interviewing Mrs. Obama and asking how she manages to do everything that she does. And not that I am in any way comparable to that amazing woman, but when she was talking about it and talking about kind of the mentality of putting your own oxygen mask on first. And she was talking about the the way that she schedules her life. She talked a lot about how she schedules her health and self-care and her things that are important to her regarding her friendships and her marriage and her kids all first before she starts to schedule in the, the obligations that she has as first lady. And in hearing her talk about that, and she shared several different stories, uh, I, it just landed with me so well. There were so many things that I was neglecting in my life at that time. You know, I, 
I wasn't able to get to the doctor as regularly as, as I should or stick to my routine dentist appointments and things like that. And as you add to your family, things come up like doctor's appointments for your kids. And, and you know, they're just the ecosystem of it all starts to get more and more uh, complex and turn into more and more of a spider web. So I realized in that moment and I came home and I hired a personal trainer and I scheduled that and I scheduled all of my healthcare appointments and things like a routine massage um, therapy appointment and uh, an appointment with an acupuncturist and things like that. All the things that I in my were kind of haunting me in the back of my mind that I knew I needed to be doing to take care of myself when under kind of these levels of stress and and in order to be a good mom and a good uh, leader at the company and a good wife uh, and a good friend. And so I, I started really working to schedule things like keeping in touch with my friends, which can kind of come across as something that's sort of sad that you have to do. And maybe that's why some people avoid it is I don't want to have to make an appointment to, to hang out with you, Laura. I just had a sex therapist on my show two weeks ago who talked about how important it is to schedule sex with your spouse. So I mean, seriously, I don't think the scheduling thing, I think we're all afraid of it because it's not very sexy. It's not, it's not sexy, but you know what is sexy when you're able to do it all. And yeah, I am, I've been working out with that trainer for a couple of years. I don't miss my appointments. I am meet, I'm going to my doctor's appointments, my dermatologist's appointments. I'm getting my kids to the doctor when they need uh, their routine checkups and their vaccines and things like that. And, you know, it's all, it's all a part of it. I'm going to get a facial or, you know, a massage when I need to, to make sure that I'm staying, that I'm feeling You're filling good. your own tank. That I'm feeling good. Yeah. Well, and, um, and that plays in so much. I mean, you have the time and the bandwidth to be able to do that because you're a business owner. You have a lot of flexibility, but you also provide that for your employees as well. Mm-hmm. You talk a lot about integration with work. Is it you spend 90,000 hours uh, in, of your life working? Mm-hmm. Um, and you've said in the past, you know, if you're going to spend 90,000 hours of your life doing anything, why would you keep it separate from the things that you love? Absolutely. So, yeah, that's the foundation that our agency is built on. When I started the company, I thought about, and really particularly in that, in that moment when we decided to go in the, in the direction of focusing on impact, I thought about how in that 90,000 hours, you can either work 90,000 hours and then try and figure out where you're going to fit in, the things you want to volunteer and do and all of that in your spare time, which nobody has any of. There's no such thing as spare time. It's a myth. It's so true. There's no just extra time lying around. around. It's like money lying around. So you have this 90,000 hour block and you know you're going to spend that working. That's the the stat for the average person. And, And most of us are ambitious and we're not even average. So imagine how many hours we're spending at work. So if we can bring the things we care about into that work, uh, then there's not that separation that requires you to pick and choose and try to figure out how to have time for all of it. You're actually spending those 90,000 hours moving forward on the things that are really important to you. And so then I try and build HR policies um, to really support that thinking for everybody that's at Black Sheep because they all, whether they have a family or they have other interests, I mean, there there are definitely um, different interests varying across our team, but how can we build in flexibility in the way that we work so that everybody can, you know, fill their tanks and and address the things that are important to them and they can get to the doctor and, you know, there can be that flexibility to make sure everybody is balanced, but is also kind of integrating the things that are important to them and, uh, you know, can go the distance and, and feel taken care of and, and focused on what they need to focus on. I think that's all so important. And it's, you know, it's 2020. And if you're working hard, we can build frameworks and we can build 
policies that really allow for people to show up and give it their all when they're at work and then to do the things that need to happen outside of that time or during that time with the level of flexibility so that they can keep showing up. Um, You know, if they're committed to us and they're doing the work, then how can we be committed to them in the other direction and make sure that they're taken care of and that they're they have the flexibility to do the things that they need to do. Well, I think what you just described is definitely the direction that we're all headed. There's a lot of, I mean, you could say we live in a gig economy, if you will, but like the other side of that is where there's a lot more entrepreneurship, a lot of people creating their own schedules because we've realized there's life beyond just nine to five working and then coming home and being totally burnt out. Mm -hmm. If that's how you feel about working a nine to five job, there's other options for you. You can have more work life integration as Mm -hmm. opposed to balance. Um, and I also love like when you think about sitting down with the CEO of a really large company that's doing all these things and you have two kids, like you think about somebody who's probably a little bit frantic, chaotic, strung out, like you are absolutely none of those things when you showed up today. Um, and I just think that's a very important thing to mention and to note, like busyness isn't sexy Mm-mm. at all. No. And yeah, it's a, I'm sorry, boomers. I've been like doing some boomer like hating on this show lately and I need to stop. But um, there was like a lot of romanticism of busyness among that generation. It's cool to be busy. I mean, I ask people in that generation, like how are things going, you know, crazy busy as though that's like, I'm doing well. And then and they I follow be- that with, well, it's better than the alternative. Right. And I'm like, is it? Because I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. I hate. Yeah. I hate when anyone, when you ask anyone how they're doing, and they say busy. It's just. It's a mechanical answer. Yeah. It. It. You know. I. I'm not sure why it's, it's something that folks think is something to brag on. It's to me. It's the opposite of where we should be. We need. If If I'm in the right space, if I'm in the space where I'm going to create the most value for my team, my clients, and my family, it's. It's in a place where I'm not so busy that that's my automatic default answer. It's that I have the space to really think about what I need, what they need, and how we're going to get there and really kind of give us some breathing room to think about what's next, which is really my 2020 thing. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what is next and, and how do we, I think in 2019, I was too busy and yeah. And how do we get back to the space where there's a little bit of breathing room to um, pause and reflect so that we can create, you know, what is next? I think it's easy to get caught up in like the glamour of running from one thing to the next and like how that feels exhilarating, but it doesn't stay exhilarating. Mm -mm. And if you have kids, especially, it's not, I mean... I know for me, if I feel like I don't have a second to take care of myself, they're the person, they're, they're, they're the ones who are going to bear the brunt of that. Like my tank needs to be full in order for me to be a good parent, to be a good friend, to be a good wife, to be all the things that I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the little things that we do at Black Sheep, which I think helps a lot, uh, is we have a, a concierge that comes in once a week and just kind of runs all the errands that someone else could run for a person. So dry cleaning, pharmacy pickup, oil change, flat tire, you know, whatever it is. And we get all of that out of the way because my other goal for my team and for me is that when you do have that weekend and that weekend hits, you don't want to spend it doing that stuff. You're not doing those things. That's incredible. Okay. So this seems like a good time to mention that you were one of the ink best places to work. Ink Magazine. What, what was it? The top hundred was it the top? What? It's a big deal. It's Ink Magazine. So you're one of the best places to work according to them. And I'm listening to this and I'm hearing why you also do so many other cool things in your workplace. Tell us a little more about that. So you have a concierge service so people can get all that stuff taken care of and out of the way. Awesome. And what then they get to do, do what they want to do on the weekend, whether yeah. that's spend time with their family or spend time watching Netflix and not sitting in. What you made know, you think of doing that? That's a pretty revolutionary idea. Well, I, you know, I think I spend a lot of time actually thinking about what are people doing that someone else could be doing so that they can focus on their highest value uh, task. I think when you bring that up though, to some people, like I've suggested that, like I'm pretty into having a housekeeper because I don't, I mean, if I spend my energy on cleaning, 
um, that's my creative energy too. And then it's zapped for mm-hmm. stuff like this for what I really need to be using it for. So I love to clean, like it's fun, but I, for it to be my, my full-time job and the thing that I'm doing all the time. And then everyone's like, well, it's really expensive. I promise you the money that I'm spending on that, I'm getting paid dividends and more in return because I'm not spending my money-making energy, my creative energy on a cleaning lady. And then I also get, I mean, sorry on, um, yeah. So I also hear like, you know, stay at home moms like, well, I don't have a job. Like I'm not necessarily like the only thing that I have to do. And I'm like, well, yeah, but like, what if you were like that much happier? Mm -hmm. And like, what would that mean? Like for your family? Okay. So you stay at home and you don't like bring in income. And so this is an expense that maybe seems like too much, but like, is it possible? Like, can you afford it? And I always kind of like push that question because we're always so quick to say like, no, I can't do that. I should just be the one taking care of it. But like, what would that, what would you really be paying for? Because honestly, sometimes the price of outsourcing the stuff that doesn't fill you up Mm -hmm. is like the cost of actually being happier in your marriage or happier in your home or feeling more clarity of mind. And that's something we would all pay for. Yeah. I struggled with that a while back. I hired a, an, an assistant seven years ago. And when someone told me that I should hire an assistant seven years ago at Black Sheep, I thought that that felt um, luxurious and like a nice to have, but not a need to have. And then there were a couple of meetings that slipped through the cracks and I realized it was a need to have, not a nice to have. And so I hired an assistant, but it was a really awkward time for me because I like to do my own things. Yeah. I I don't necessarily, you know, and and I think that's a challenge for a lot of people when it comes to thinking about delegation or um, hiring someone to come in to do something for you, whether it's a housekeeper or, you know. um, I hired a nanny recently after the intervention of like my husband and a lot of other professionals who felt it was a very important thing for me to be doing. And I have, I like for the first the last four weeks, the last month, I've been beyond uncomfortable. The only thing I just keep telling myself is your life is so much better. Yeah. Just keep noticing like how much happier you are. Yeah. I know you're uncomfortable, but look at how much happier you are. And like, it seems like that means you're going in the well, right direction. And then, you know, where is that redirecting your value and yeah. how is that then creating a chain reaction? And so when I hired my assistant, you know, instead of going back and forth to try and schedule things with someone, I was focused on the future of the business or I was focused on working on a client strategy or I was working with my team on a client's uh, situation or project. And so redirecting that energy when someone else was capable of doing those things and probably doing them better than I was because they could be focused on that. Mm -hmm. That was life-changing. And now seven years later, I'm focused on that kind of same transition. And my assistant still with me seven years later said, you know, I think it's time for you to get some more support because now I've, he's actually been promoted to director of operations and he's really grown with the company. And now he's focused on all sorts of other things from HR to culture and office management and um, finances and all sorts of things. And, and so he's kind of left behind those assistant, assistantly duties. And so I started, I, I again told him, no, nah, I don't need that. I don't need that. I'm fine. I'm yeah. not yeah. because I like to take care of myself and, yeah. And, um, over time I started thinking about that and thinking about, okay, I do, I do need some more support because we're at that stage again where we've grown and I've kind of hit a ceiling with what I'm able to do on my own. So I'm bringing in a chief of staff to help with strategy and some of those responsibilities and, and the administration responsibilities so that I can then really think about the future of the company again. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to see how you go through these life cycles of, um, you know, where, where the company is, where you are, and then how your family dynamic affects those things and what realizing and kind of noticing those moments where you need to change something, um, and how that can affect everything going forward. So I'm, I'm on the cusp of that and I'm very excited about it. Well, you mentioned that one of your prerequisites for a chief of staff was that they would need to be someone who was willing to pick your kids up from school or from the doctor if you couldn't get there. Yeah. So this is an interesting challenge that I never really realized until the second baby arrived is I find myself. So I was, I was supposed to be at a meeting presenting to five different CEOs a, a couple of months ago out, um, a couple of uh, miles away. Well, I would 30 minutes away or so. And 
I was about to leave to go out to that meeting a little bit early and the school called and my son had a fever and he needed to be picked up right away. Luckily, I had about a 30 minute window and I made it to the school and was able to drop him off uh, with a friend. But the challenge was in that moment, I realized, you know, we don't really have a backup plan for this. So we have a nanny that stays home with the baby. My mom and dad live very close. So oftentimes my mom and dad can come in clutch at the right moment. Yeah. But they also have a lot going their on in lives. their lives. Yeah. So, um, you know, what's the third round of backup? You never really think, well, I'm going to need a third a third wave. Oh, but you do. But you do. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So in hiring this chief of staff, while there is most certainly a very different professional uh role for this for this candidate I did say there's a two or three percent uh of the role that you're going to need to help support me in some personal circumstances because in order for me to stay focused on the company at times I'm going to need some backup with my family and that may include something like picking my kid up at school if there's an unexpected situation so so the one thing I have to say that I have learned from this conversation, which I could clearly keep on having all day, but we do have to wrap up, is that people who are in charge take really good care of themselves. And you have inspired me to go make that appointment I have been putting off with the acupuncturist. And you pour all of this into yourself so that you're able to be present for what really matters in your life. And there is, I feel like, almost an epidemic, and I know because I'm part of it, of women especially, and especially mothers, feeling like they can't do that, that they have to do it all. And I just, this is the year that I'm putting my superwoman cape down away. I don't need that. Other people can help me. And um, we all deserve that. And you are a living example, even if you, whether or not you choose to admit it, I do believe that you are. And um, I'm just grateful for everything you shared with me today. Thanks. I think, you know, just to go to that cape analogy, I think that you actually have the cape on when you're taking care of yourself because that's what gives you the power to do all of the other things. And if you just keep acting in service of everyone else in your life and you don't take that time to renew your own strength, you aren't going to have the energy to do those other things in the way that you could. You're, you're diluting the potential if you skip, skip over yourself. I agree. And I'm so glad that you don't. And I know you've inspired a lot of people who are listening to take better care of themselves going forward. So thank you again for being on the show, Amy. Um, Amy, again, is the founder and CEO of the Black Sheep Agency, whom you can follow them at Sheer Creativity, Sheer like Shearing a Sheep, mm-hmm. S-H-E-A-R. And you're at Amy Woodall on Instagram as well. And you can follow me at Laura Max Rose. You've been listening to Look Ma No Hands. I hope you'll share this episode with your friends if you enjoyed it. And we'll see you again on Tuesday. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Look Ma No Hands. I'm Laura Max Rose, and you can follow me on Instagram at Laura Max Rose to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and the behind the scenes of my life with my own two daughters. If you like this episode and are enjoying Look Ma No Hands, the best way you can help me spread the word is to leave a review on Apple Podcast. This is the single best way to help me reach a larger audience and share these conversations with everyone who needs to hear them. If you love something you just heard, you can also take a screenshot of the episode and share it on social media. There might be someone you know who needs to hear what you just heard, and that's another great way to make sure they do. Thank you for joining me every week. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. More next time. Mom, 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 mom.